Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is, is Are You Ready? Part 2. Part 2. We've been talking about Jesus' second coming, and today we're on the contractions. The contractions, Mark 13, 9 to 13, and also Matthew 24, 9 to 14. So we're going to talk about the second coming, and Jesus uses the birth process to get the disciples ready. He uses that imagery for them, and he talks about the birth pains, and then, you know, birth pains become contractions. He talks about more of that, and then we see the birth itself. Now, with 13 children and 13 births, Kim and I know a lot about the birth process. We've seen pretty much all of it, uh, seen it all. And what was funny, I think Kim is out with the kids, but what's funny with with 13 people say, oh, you've had so many kids because you probably had so many easy births. And and uh, actually just the opposite. We've had many, many, well, Kim, I can't take any credit for this. Uh, Kim has had many, many complications and difficult pregnancies. In fact, for all 13 kids, something crazy happened. In fact, we were watching a TV show yesterday. I can't remember what it was, how it came up. But somehow it came up that... Kim, during one of the pregnancies, actually was hemorrhaging. And, and I was saying, yeah, if it had been 20 or 30 years earlier, she probably would have died. We wouldn't have had any more kids after that. And I, I couldn't remember who it was. And, and I said, who was it? And, and Kim goes, that was Emily. And Emily goes, I was a difficult birth. She took it real personal. She was very upset. And, and we said, all, all of you, there was something complicated. It was crazy. It's really a miracle that we even had two children, though, because the first birth was horrendous. Uh, it was unbelievable. We were, that was when we were down in Mississippi for that one. And I was thinking as I was doing this, I wonder if there's a correlation between the difficulty of birth and difficulty of raising that child. But, but we won't go there. Anyway, we won't go there. But, but by the fifth one, Kim was dreading having dreading the birth thing. Oh, she's out in the lobby there. She was dreading it. She goes, I can't wait to see the baby. I love having the baby. I love seeing them, but, but I don't know if I can go through it again. Uh, and I said, well, why don't you just use an epidural? And she was hesitant because the doctor she had at that time was like, you don't need it. You're, you know, pioneer woman. You don't need an epidural. You don't need drugs. It's all natural. And she had her, you know, on this. And whatever Kim was at, I have a lot. You know, and she went through some very difficult births. She'd be like, no, you don't need it. You can do it. You can do it. And, and I said, I'm going to make an executive decision because she was really just feeling worn out from the difficult births. And I said, you're going to use an epidural. So we get into the hospital, and the, the doctor, she's like, oh, everything's good. We're just going to, no, she's going to do an epidural. So when she gets to blah, 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 you know, four or five centimeters, whatever it is, she went, oh, okay. But she kept, yeah, but I don't really think you need it. I go, she's going to do it. But I knew the doctor was not going to allow her. She was going to talk her out of it again. So the, ner- the doctor, it was taking a while. And so the doctor said, I'm going to go home and get something to eat. I'll be back in a little while. As soon as she left, I said, nurse, get the epidural out. She's going to do an epidural. And she did. And the doctor was so mad when she came back and I, I got it on her. But, uh, uh, but the thing about the epidural was Kim was like in sh- shock because there was no pain. She was like, she, she was like, she was on the phone talking to people, and I go, oh, there's another big contraction. I'm reading the machine there. And she goes, oh, that's, she's smiling and waving at the camera, you know. It, it was like crazy. Didn't feel a thing. It was crazy. So today we're going to look at some contractions leading to Jesus Christ's second coming. 
But it won't be a fun time because there's no spiritual epidural that we can take as a planet or as a church or as individuals because we're going to have to go through the pain, all right? It's going it's, it's to it's, it's be a tough, tough time as the time comes for Jesus to come back again. And once again, if you want to really go in depth on this, we spent years on Daniel and Revelation, so you can always get the CDs from uh, Katie and, and go really, really in depth. But the last time, and I know some of you are doing that all right now, last time we talked about birth pains. And remember the birth pains we talked about? We talked about the false messiahs. The wars, the earthquakes, the famines. If you weren't here, make sure you get that CD or go on the podcast there. And we saw how in Mark 13, verse 8, when Jesus said, as, he, as he's talking about this, he says in verse 8, These are the beginning of birth pains. These are the beginning of the birth pains. The beginning. Today we're going to see how the birth pains become contractions. And we know with contractions, how do we know the birth is getting closer? When it increases in frequency and intensity. Unless you have an epidural, you don't notice that. But, but, mo- but that's, that's the key. The frequency and intensity of the contractions tell us if it's getting closer. And that's what we're going to look at today is the contractions to see how close it is with Jesus coming back a second time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for getting us here today. A lot of us had to get through a lot. No electricity and no showers and trees down and a lot of craziness. And even as I was hearing that wind howling this morning, I was just kind of like, wow, it's kind of symbolic of what we're going to be talking about today with Matthew 24 and Mark 13. And Father, we just pray that you would prepare us, prepare us for the second coming of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that everybody here would know you. They would put their faith in you so we'd be ready for that. And also we would grow very strong spiritually as we prepare for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we'll start with Mark 13, 9 to 13. And then we'll jump over to our parallel passage there. Verse 9, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say what is ever given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. So he starts off here in verse 9, you must be on your guard, another warning. And and that's what we're going to see all throughout this, this passage here. And in Matthew, we see many warnings as he talks about the second coming of Christ. Verse 5 was watch out. And the contractions here are our warning. Remember, watch for increase in, in frequency and intensity. This is, this is the warn us to start really paying attention, be on our guard. And I want to focus on a parallel passage to get to the contraction phase because it brings them out even more clearly. Let's look at Matthew 24. And this is what we're going to focus on. You'll see a lot of the parallels here, but a few extras here. Matthew 24, verse 9 starts out, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. 
At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will go cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Woo! So brings out some more details. Matthew brought out some more details here. And let's look at the contractions. The first contraction is in verse 9. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Contraction number one is what? Persecution. Persecution. Has anyone noticed persecution increasing worldwide? Mm-hmm. Doesn't take <laughs> doesn't take much to see it. It's it's unbelievable what's happening and it's starting here in the USA today too it's here today it has to because the Bible says you will be hated by all nations because of me doesn't say everywhere except the United States which is what we kind of would like to see it says by all nations it's going to happen here and what really infuriates people here think of the persecution that we're starting to face here what really ticks people off that we follow Jesus Christ and we believe that his word is the truth they're not freaking out about the Hindus they're not freaking out about the Buddhists nobody's you know saying oh I can't believe these Buddhists they've got to do something about that they're not it's Christians true Christians because it's Jesus Christ and his word that freaks people out there are two groups that are hated in the United States now You see the hate building, and they're hated worldwide, just as the Bible said very clearly what happened. Once again, if you didn't get the Daniel Revelation, listen to those CDs. It goes into detail. There's two groups that are going to be hated, according to the Bible, and we're seeing it happen right now. Bible-believing, born-again disciples of Jesus Christ. Notice I added all that in because there's a lot of fluff out there. But Bible-believing, born-again disciples of Jesus Christ and our Jewish brothers and sisters. We're seeing anti-Semitism on the rise. It's happening all over the world, and it's happening here in the United States. In fact, there is a... I'll read it here. You can't make this... This is the title of the news article I'm going to read to you. You can't make it up. UN names Democratic Israel as world's top human rights violator. This is the UN. According to the United Nations, the most evil country in the world today is Israel. On March 24, 2016, the UN Commission on the Status of Women wrapped up its annual meetings in New York by condemning only one country for violating human rights, for violating women's rights anywhere on the planet. Women's rights. Israel, for violating the rights of Palestinian women. On the same day, the UN Human Rights Council concluded its month-long session in Geneva by condemning Israel five times more than any other of the 192 UN member states. There were five council resolutions on Israel, one each on the likes of uh, five on Israel, but only one on the likes of the hellish countries like Syria, North Korea, and Iran. Libya got an offer of technical assistance, and countries like Russia, Saudi Arabia, and China were among the 95% of the states that were never mentioned. This is what's going on. In, but in practice, uh, in Geneva, 
the United Nations permitted handouts that claimed that Israel saw ethnic cleansing as a necessary precondition for its existence. A film accused Israel of sexual violence against children in trying to exterminate an entire Palestinian generation. This is what's going on with the UN. On the ground, though, reality is Israelis are being hacked to death on the streets, stabbed in buses, slaughtered in synagogues, mowed down by automobiles, and shot in front of their children. That's the fact. On the ground, another fact, Palestinian women are murdered and subjugated for the sake of male honor. Saudi women can't drive. Iranian women are stoned to death for so-called adultery. Egyptian women have their genitals mutilated. And Sudanese women give birth in prison with their legs shackled for being Christians. All of this played out in the same week that Europe was reeling from the Belgian terror attacks. Petrified or already vanquished, no European state voted against No European state voted against this onslaught of UN resolutions against Israel. Germany and the United Kingdom occasionally abstained, while France voted with Arab and Islamic states on all but one of the council resolutions. Here we are just 70 years after World War II, and Europeans believe that they can license this poison against the Jewish state, the only democracy on the front lines of an Islamic war against human decency, and they believe, the Europeans believe, that the consequences can be contained to the Jews alone. As for the United States, the Obama administration has been the Human Rights Council's most important supporter. It's starting. It's here. We're seeing it. We're, we're seeing it completely. It, it, the, the Jews have been marked... The the Jews have been marked. Daniel Revelation clearly teaches that there will be open season as the time comes for Jesus to return. Open season on true Christians and Jews in the end times. Are we seeing this contraction? Are we seeing the frequency and intensity? Is it really happening? I'll give you another statistic. Since Jesus ascended back into heaven 2,000 years ago, an estimated 70 million Christians have been killed for their faith. 70 million. 35 million of them were killed in the 20th century. So in the first 1900 years, 35 million. And then the next 100 years, 35 million. Many by communists and fascism. And now the baton has been passed to Islam. The massacre, which are massacring Christians and Jews all over the world. There is jihad daily in the United States, but the media will not report it. Do you understand that there are terror acts every day in the United States? If you don't believe me, uh, I will send you the site. If you aren't already on these sites that I've been trying to get you to get on, Pamela Gillar and the Christian uh, News Network, they report what the media will not report, that there is terrorism continually around the world and in the United States, but they hide it. They, they, our media hides it. Our president hides it. I'll give you an example. That whole, all the stabbings that happened out in California with the, well, the, the college there. When it first happened, everybody knew it was, was terrorism, but they weren't allowed. The FBI said, we're going to call what it is if it is, and, but they didn't. They didn't say anything because they were told they weren't allowed to call it terrorism and connect it to Islam in any way. 
But did you notice that just a, a, a week ago, months after this happened, a little blip in the news. Yes, it was, it was connected to Muslim terrorism. Because they waited till the smoke clears and nobody cares anymore. And then the FBI is finally allowed to, to connect the dots. Over and over and over again. The media is not reporting it. And our president and administration will not allow the news to be told. But it's daily. And it's also not just by Islam, but in our country we're seeing persecution start. And it's not the Muslims all. It's in the USA, it's under the guise of political correctness. If we are not politically correct, the persecution is starting. And we attack anyone who dares to be biblically correct. If we're not politically correct, mm-mm. If we're biblically correct, if we choose to speak the truth in love, which we must do as Christians, the persecution is starting. Contraction number two, verse 10. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Verse 10, contraction number two, apostasy. Apostasy. Many will turn away from the faith. The Greek word is scandal. Scandal. It means to stumble or to sin. Are we seeing this contraction, apostasy, happening? In 1900, just 0.2% of people worldwide were atheist, agnostic, or non-religion. Just 0.2%. By the year 2000, just 100 years later, globally, 18% said they no longer believed in God. Wrap your mind around that. In the USA... They just came out with, with a, a survey, and they call them nuns, the nuns. The nuns are either atheist, agnostic, or see their religion as, as nothing in particular, the nuns. 25% of Americans now are nuns. Nuns. But even more troubling than that is the number of Christians who live like nuns. And I'm not talking about N-U-N nuns. I'm talking about N-O-N-E-S, nuns. They have nothing, nuns. Live like nuns. Uh, the Christians, that, people who claim they're Christian, but their worldview, their practical beliefs, their actions are no different than the nuns. We're living the same way. It's called lukewarm, and you all know what happens to that. The apostasy. Jesus says the apostate, this is what you're going to see, it says that many will betray and hate each other. That's what he says is going to happen with the apostate. They're going to betray and hate each other. There are many fakes in the church. I'm sure none sitting here. But there are many fakes in the church. And God is going to use this time, these contractions, to refine the church. We're going to find out who's for real. That's the whole point of it. It reminds me of what a story I heard when I was younger. It was happening in USSR, communism, back when it was the USSR. And a soldier, the Christians used to have to meet in underground churches. Could happen here soon. They had to meet in underground churches, and when, when the communists would raid, they would often kill the people or beat them or torture them. If you want to read a great book, Tortured for Christ, Richard Wombrand, give you a picture of what was going on at this time. And 
they would, in one time a soldier broke in on a, a, a secret service that they were having and he came in with his gun ready and he came and he says, okay, you're all going to, this is illegal, you're not allowed to be Christians and you're going to die. But I'm going to give you a chance. You can walk out that door and walk out on Jesus and go free or stay and be shot. And they start walking out one by one good number even some of the church leaders walked out but a group stayed a remnant stayed the soldier went over and he locked the door turned to them put his gun down said okay good I'm a Christian too and I didn't want to work with fakes. I can't afford to be, you know, found out in the army. So I wanted to make sure there was only real Christians here. Now let's start worshiping. I see God doing that in the church in the USA today. He's doing it worldwide, but he's doing it in the church today. There's several lightning rods. One of the main ones is homosexuality and gay marriage. A lot of people are like, oh, I can't believe this church is folding on this and this church is compromising on this. And it is shocking to see the evangelical leaders that have caved in on gay marriage and, and to see the, the, the churches that we thought were strong, Bible-believing churches that have caved in on this and, and totally compromised. But you know what? I think God's doing us a favor. He's showing us who's real and who's fake. He's separating the sheep from the goats. That's what he's doing. And he's using an issue like that and several other issues like this. That's just one of the lightning rods. He's using these issues to separate the sheep from the goats. That's what's happening. Contraction number three, verse 11. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. False Prophets is contraction number three. We already talked last week about false messiahs and how they were part of the birth pain. Now we see also false prophets. And these are, in the scripture, false teachers. They claim to be Christian, but their teachings go against God's word. That's a false prophet. That's a false teacher in scripture in the New Testament. They say they're Christian, but their teachings and their actions go against God's word. And this is an easy contraction to see in increasing frequency in, uh, in the USA today, isn't it? It's all around us. We see it constantly. We just turn on the TV set and you see these TV evangelists and, and TV preachers who I can't believe people still send them money. It's shocking to me. But, but they're the word of faith that you can, if you're a Christian, you're going to be healthy and wealthy. And, and, that's all, and if, if you really have the faith and you're really a Christian, you will be healthy and wealthy. And, and, and these guys are scam artists. They're just scam artists. Joel Olstein just was on CBS Sunday morning, March 27th. Title for this is Mega Church Self-Help Author and Motivational Speaker Joel Olstein says that he doesn't believe that he's cheating people by neglecting to preach on repentance or eternal punishment as he believes people feel guilty enough already. Olstein, who lives in a 10 point $10.5 million home, explained to CBS that most of his wealth comes from his book sales and his work with satellite radio. He does not take a salary from his church, which he estimates makes $90 million a year. 
Well, of course, you don't preach on repentance. There's no sin mentioned. Who wouldn't want to be part of a church like that, right? However, much concern has been raised over the past decade that the messages at Lakewood are noticeably man-centered and humanistic instead of Christ-centered and gospel-centered. Olstein's self-help books have included Your Best Life Now, Become a Better You, You Can, You Will, and It's Your Time. Are we seeing a pattern here? Olstein's latest book, The Power of I Am, teaches readers to manifest blessings in their life by making positive confessions about themselves so that they might lead a more productive and happier life. In 2014, Olstein's wife, Victoria, raised concerns when she preached, preaching, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself. False teaching. The emergent church is another clear example of the false teaching. At first, it was exciting, all these young people flocking to these churches, these emergent churches, and, and it was exciting, and, and we all were thinking, well, maybe something good is happening here. We don't know. But now we see that the emergent church has been submerged by false teaching. Its true colors have shown. Rob Bell is the, the main guy who has led this movement, and, and he's now showed his true colors, gone against most of the teachings of the Bible, and he's made a partnership with Oprah, the high priest of the New Age movement. He and, he and Oprah are doing all these TV shows, telling people what Christianity, real, what Jesus really meant. The Pope. Fasten your seatbelts. Even the Pope can be a false teacher. The, the, first, the, this present Pope has taught that evolution is true, that we came from monkeys. He's teaching this now. And we talked about how he said all religions lead to God. That was last time. Which directly contradicts the Popes before him, but also contradicts the word of God. And now his newest thing, the newest, newest false teaching that has come out, and I'll read it for you. Catholics should not try to convert Jews, the Vatican says. The Vatican has told Catholics that they should not seek to convert Jews and stress that the two faiths have a unique relationship. Well, the second part is true, but the first part's not. It says, it is the Catholic's it says the Catholic Church neither conducts nor supports any specific institutional mission work toward Jews, directed toward Jews. Judaism, it points out, is not to be considered simply as another religion. The Jews are instead our elder brothers. Now, there's some truth here. That's the whole point of false teaching. There is some truth, but then he takes it to the crazy point. Turning to the vexed question of salvation, the document says that the Jews are participants in God's salvation is theologically unquestionable, but how that can be possible without confessing Christ explicitly is and remains an unfathomable divine mystery. Jews and Catholics should jointly combat all forms of anti-Semitism. We agree with that, 100%, right? The document says, condemning the Nazi slaughter of Jews in World War II. Yes, but... It makes no direct reference to the medieval Inquisition, which lasted 500 years, by the way, and it didn't officially end until the 1800s. Most people don't know that. When the Catholic Church persecuted 
Jews and forced them to convert to Christianity. Uh, yeah, they, that what they really did is they killed them if they wouldn't convert for 500 years. Two extremes. Either the Roman Catholic Church persecutes and kills Jews for not converting, and now they go to the other extreme, they don't even offer them salvation. I mean, what is this? That ignores the fact that in the Bible, in the book of Acts, the Jewish apostles, and we, we you know, we hate any persecution or anti-Semitism. That's why we're meeting next week, you know, having the special guests come next week. But we also don't fall to a false teaching. It ignores the fact that in Acts, the Jewish apostles, they were all Jewish, all 12 of them, were preaching to a Jewish crowd, 100% Jewish crowd. When they said in Acts 4.12, they said, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. What the Pope is teaching is false teaching. And false teaching isn't limited just to the Roman Catholics. Oh no, Uh, Protestants, evangelicals too. Evangelicals too. And, And it's kind of tricky with the evangelicals. There's a lot of guys who I know believe the Bible, but they won't preach it. They preach a Swiss cheese version of the Bible. They cut out sections. They're Thomas Jefferson disciples, really. They cut out what they, they don't, it's not, they do believe it. If you ask, oh yeah, I definitely believe it. Why won't you preach it? I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want to offend anybody. We're seeker sensitive. Well, I think being Holy Spirit sensitive is a far more important. And that doesn't mean that we'd be rude or nasty or mean, but you have to preach the word, the whole word. And, and these evangelicals are careful preachers. And they grow their big churches by being very careful preachers. And what are they doing? They're functioning as false teachers. They don't believe as a false teacher, but they're functioning as false teachers because they're not preaching, they're not speaking the truth in love. Contraction number four. Back to Matthew tw- uh, 24, verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will go cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Contraction number four is the increase of wickedness. Love growing cold. I call it being cold-blooded. Is this happening? <laughs> Just watch the news. Just read the news. Just, it's shocking what is happening in the world today. It's shocking. God's checklist to see if this is happening. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, I remember I used to read this and say, oh, that's going to be terrible when it really does happen. And here we are. When I was younger, I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be terrible end times. But doesn't sounds like you're reading the news now. Look at uh, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Check. Contraction number five, the last one, verse five. And this is an encouraging one, thankfully. 
And this gospel, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Worldwide evangelism is a contraction number five. The gospel will be preached in the whole world. Before Jesus ascended up into heaven, he gave us his last commission. His last words, the great commission. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to his disciples and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The great commission has been given to us. And this has to be fulfilled before Jesus returns. Is it happening? 1993, I saved this article because I... Billy Graham. A hundred million to hear Graham in Hong Kong. One sermon. An estimated 100 million people will hear Billy Graham speaking, satellite extension, blah, 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 46 different languages. And at that time, that was like shocking. But now, with the media and everybody having their old cell phone, you can, I mean, it's just, it's just amazing what, what is happening now. In China alone, the, the underground church in China alone is almost 100 million now. They think it's at 100 million now. Missions is, is the Bible translations and, and the gospel translations that is going on worldwide. They, they think they've almost hit every people group. There's just a few left. few of you, get out there and finish it up. Uh, you know, get, let's get Jesus back here, right? But, but it, almost every people group has now been reached, but they're still working feverishly trying to get it out there. In fact, I don't know if you saw it in the news. Probably not, unless you get the Christian news. Four Wycliffe Bible translators were murdered this week. Murdered. They were in an Islamic country translating it into that language, trying very hard, and, and the, the, the group, the mob, heard about it, came and, and murdered them, beat them to death. Horrible. Because they didn't, but they, but they didn't destroy the, um, the translation, whatever it was on, the stick, whatever it was on. They, they, were, they were able to salvage most of it, so, so there's already... Courageous replacements going in there to finish the job. It's happening. But it, it's not just Billy Graham and it's not just people in these dangerous places. We are called to fulfill the Great Commission. We are. Are we fulfilling it? Because Jesus won't come back again until it's fulfilled. We don't like all those nasty contractions, but the good one is a happy ending, right? And that's a positive thing to focus on. In fact, we possibly can even speed up the return of Jesus Christ. Did you ever know that? Let me read you a passage. Second Peter 3. 2 Peter 3 says, in verse 3, let's start with verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires, they will say, where is this coming he promised? Does that sound familiar to anybody here? Verse 8. 
But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with, by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. And what is Jesus waiting for here? For the, everyone to come to repentance. There, there's his, his chosen people that have, still have to put their faith in him. Jesus may be waiting for one of us to share the gospel with one last person before he comes again. Or he may be waiting for one of you You're holding out and he may be waiting for one of you to put your faith in Jesus and give your life to him before he comes again. You might be that person. And if we get to heaven and I find out you kept us here waiting even one extra day, I don't care if it's heaven or not, I'm going to smack you in the back of the head. What was that for? Or he may be waiting for us to live holy and godly lives. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. He may be waiting for us to purify. Jesus is coming back for a holy bride. And he's not coming back until it's holy. And it's going to take contractions. It's going to take refining. It's going to take very difficult times. But he's waiting for it. In fact, in Revelation 19, 7, 8, some of you remember this. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Jesus is not coming back for a prostitute. He's not coming back for a a harlot. He's not coming back for a filthy bride. He's coming back for a beautiful, pure bride. And he'll do whatever it takes to refine us and purify us and prepare us to be that. Are we living those holy lives so that Jesus, are we speeding that day for Jesus coming? And that's why communion is so important. Communion is that once a month that we, we focus on. It's a reminder to purify ourselves and to share our faith. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, I'll read you the communion passage. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says talks about this very thing, about purifying and sharing our faith. That's the whole point of communion itself. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. It's a time of examining ourselves and purifying ourselves and declaring the Lord's death until he comes. It's a witness. It's a witness. And that's what we're doing now as we take the Lord's Supper. The, the, we're remembering the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We're recognizing that, that he gave it on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he gave his body and his blood in our place as, as a substitute for our punishment. He took that on himself. Then if we will put our faith in him, we can avoid that punishment. We can avoid that judgment. And we're remembering the body and the blood and how we take it. We just have some music playing in a little bit. And... You just come forward and take the bread and take the cup. If you have trouble, you ask someone to get it for you. If you need help with that, we'll, we'll help you out with that. Um, but we just, when you take it back to your seat, you can take it by yourself, with a family member, with a friend, with whatever, however you feel that. There's no right or, way, right or wrong way, but it's, it's just remembering you're with, with the Holy Spirit and taking it, remembering what Christ did for us. That's how we take it. There's two reasons why we shouldn't take it. The Bible just, we just read it. The first one is if we're not a Christian. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, put your faith in him. You haven't taken that step yet. Don't take communion because you cannot commune. You can't connect with God yet. It's okay. Nobody's looking around. We're not taking attendance. It's okay. A lot of us are on spiritual journeys. It's, it, there's no pressure on that. The second reason we shouldn't is if there's some sin in our life that we will not repent of. No matter what Joel Olstein says, the Bible says we need to repent. And it doesn't make us feel worse to hear that. It makes us feel better because when we repent, the guilt is gone. We're forgiven. We can have communion again. But there's none of that without repentance. That's why I feel sorry for the people in, in his church. They're not really happy. It's a fake happiness. It's an empty happiness. The only way to happiness is to truly repent and give God the sin and ask for forgiveness that's when our our communion and our connection with God is restored and that's when we can really experience joy and peace and his purpose for our life but if, if we're not willing to surrender something don't take it you saw what the Bible just said but I hope that you do surrender it today we do open up our hands and say, God, I'm struggling, but I'm, I'm surrendering. I'm repenting of this. I'm asking you to help me in my battle with this sin. And if you've never put your faith in Christ, today's the day to do it. You don't have to wait. You can commune with God the moment you put your faith in him. You're not just in communion Sunday, but every day you can commune with God after that as your father in, in Christ. I hope everyone does that. John 3.16 says, For God... So love the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you believe, if you put your faith in Jesus, you can have eternal life starting today. And as, as, as the rest of us 
As Christians already, we can be cleansed. It doesn't matter what you walked in, what struggle you walked in, no matter what you've been beaten down by, no matter what battle you've lost, we can be forgiven the moment we repent and ask God to forgive us and help us start to fight the battle again. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Oh, better memorize that one and claim that one and keep praying that one about a thousand times a day, right? Let's pray. Are you ready for Jesus to come again? We see it, we see the signs, we see the contractions, we know it's getting close. Are you ready for Jesus to come again? Have you put your faith in his son, Jesus Christ? In God's son, Jesus, have you put your faith in him? Have you given your life to him? You can do that right now. You don't need a religious person to help you. You don't need a religious ritual or a rite. It's a prayer of faith directly from you to God. It starts with repentance. Just say, God, please forgive me for everything wrong I've ever done or ever will do. I repent of that. I turn away from my old life. Please forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus, your son. My trust and hope in him. I believe he died on that cross in my place. I believe he rose again from the dead for me. I put my faith in Jesus. And now I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow Jesus. I give you my life, God. I surrender my life. I, you're not only my Savior, but you're my Lord. And I give you my life. Make me the person I was always meant to be. Let me fulfill my purpose. The purpose you created me to fulfill. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, you are ready for the second coming of Jesus. But you don't have to wait till that to start to commune with him. You can commune with him right now. Communion Sunday and every day you can connect with God anytime through his son Jesus. Let somebody know. Tell me, tell somebody that you've made this decision because we want to encourage you and be excited for you and encourage you and help you in your new faith in Christ. Fill out the card, stick in the box. Let somebody know. 
For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us this communion Sunday? Are we ready? Really ready? What if Jesus came back right now? Would we, would we be excited about that or would we be wishing there was something in our life that we had gotten rid of? Some sin that needed repenting of or is there something that we didn't do that God called us to do? Maybe sharing our faith with somebody that he put on our heart to share it with. We're not responsible for what people do with that. We're just responsible for sharing our faith in love, speaking the truth in love. Father, as we go to this communion time, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work and move in our hearts and that we would really be able to commune with you, that anything in the way that would be taken out of the way. And I pray that no one will leave here without putting their faith in you and in knowing your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that this church body here in New Hope would be ready when you send your son Jesus back for us. We would be ready that you would find us not fake or lukewarm, but you would find us on fire. We pray your Holy Spirit would accomplish this in Jesus' name.